Hello and welcome to season two of Diving Into Diabetes, the podcast where we explore the latest advances in best practices on individualized diabetes care. I'm your host, Dr. Ron Goldenberg, and today we'll be discussing the utility and potential benefits of continuous glucose monitoring in type 2 diabetes. And it's a pleasure uh, to have with me today Dr. Alana Halpern. Uh, she's an endocrinologist at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center and an assistant professor at the University of uh, Toronto. Uh, importantly, she has a very large diabetes practice with a special interest in both young adults and pregnant women and has been recognized as a national expert in the application of diabetes technology to improve the lives of people living with diabetes. Uh, so welcome, Dr. Halpern. I'm very excited that you could join us today to uh, discuss this important topic. Thank you, Dr. Goldenberg. I'm thrilled to be here. Great. So let's get started. And, you know, traditionally uh, and for many years, we only used uh, self-monitoring of blood glucose or capillary blood glucose testing as the method for glucose uh, monitoring. And maybe we can uh, discuss uh, what the drawbacks are from this type of uh, monitoring before we get into the potential differences or benefits of continuous glucose monitoring. Certainly, Ron. So I think we know that when you do a finger stick or a capillary blood glucose, you see a moment in time. And that moment in time is helpful, especially if it's prior to a meal and you're trying to decide how much insulin you need to give. Maybe it's before you go to bed and you want to make sure you're not at risk of going low overnight. But even if you check your blood sugar six to eight times a day, which we know most adults with diabetes, especially those with type 2, are not going to do, there's still about 23 hours a day where you're sort of driving with your eyes closed and you don't know what's happening with your glucose values. And we have probably lots of underdiagnosed hypo and hyperglycemia. And we can all think of those patients in the clinic where they check just their fasting glucose every day and their fasting glucose looks good, but their A1C is above our personalized target. And so um, that's where the limitations are with uh, capillary or finger uh, prick glucose testing. Great, great introduction. So I guess when we drive a car, we have to look through the windshield and uh, when we treat diabetes, we need a continuous viewpoint of the uh, glucose over a 24-hour period. But uh, Dr. Halpern, the terminology is a bit confusing because uh, we've had flash glucose monitoring, which I, I understand has recently had a name change and a general term of CGM, and then there's real-time continuous glucose monitoring. Can you give us a, a capsule summary of the terminology so as we move through our discussion today, uh, our audience will have an idea of the terms that we're mentioning. Certainly. So I actually like to use the term glucose sensor as an overall catchphrase, as opposed to including the C. And I like to first describe to our listeners how a glucose sensor works and that it's actually measuring something different than a capillary uh, blood glucose. So a glucose sensor is a soft, flexible filament that sits under the skin and constantly measures the glucose in the surrounding interstitial tissue. And so it's possible that your glucose sensor value and your finger poke blood glucose will not be exactly the same because they're measuring two different compartments. Um, so we can talk about accuracy if you want, but I think that's an important first step. 
And so under the glucose sensor um, uh, category, we have two main types of sensors available here in Canada today. We have the intermittently scanned continuous glucose monitors, ISCGM, which we used to call flash glucose monitoring. And we have the real-time CGM, the RT-CGM. And I think that in the next couple of years, we're going to find that there's these terms are already going to become outdated because there's going to become more similarities and differences. But for our listeners in Canada today, most people who are using an intermittently scanned CGM are using the Freestyle Libre device. And the reason it's called intermittently scanned is because the glucose is not pushed to the patient. The patient has to pull the glucose from the sensor that they wear on the back of their arm. And they can do that with an app on a smartphone or with a reader. Um, there's no actual poking or prodding. You just flash or scan the uh, smartphone app or the reader over the device. And you get a glucose as well as a retrospective look at where your glucose has been over the last eight hours and a trend arrow that tells you where your glucose is likely going. With real-time CGM, the glucose values are pushed to the individual. Again, that can be pushed to a receiver, an app on a smartphone, or an insulin pump. And real-time CGM also gives you that sort of retrospective look um, and alerts and alarms. But the big difference is that it pushes the data. Um, and so we know, you know, I saw a patient in clinic today who's using a CGM like a finger poke her. And she only scans when she wakes up in the morning. And her time and range is excellent, but her A1C is high because I'm pretty sure we're missing her postprandial hyperglycemia because she's not scanning and using the device to the maximal uh, benefit. So hopefully that clarifies the terminology and sets us up for the rest of the conversation. I think it's a great summary, uh, especially for our listeners that don't eat, breathe, and sleep diabetes like us and our uh, endocrinology colleagues. So, you know, you get excellent reports from uh, the CGM devices for people that aren't familiar with the reports, it can be a little bit overwhelming and how to interpret them. So maybe before we get into the topic of type 2 diabetes, you can just give us a, a brief overview of the key CGM parameters that both clinicians and our patients should be uh, aware of so they get the maximum benefit of using this technology. Uh, certainly. So I do, um, as an academic endocrinologist, I, I teach this topic to the residents on a regular basis. And so I like to talk about the ambulatory glucose profile, which has both numeric output and graphical output as the ECG of the endocrinologist. And, um, you know, when you think about rate, rhythm and access at the beginning, we think about our time in ranges. And so the most important metrics are how much time, and this is usually displayed in percentages, are a patient spending in the target range of four to 10 millimoles per liter, um, below range, um, which is less than 3.9, um, and above range. And another really powerful, important metric to look at is the variability. I like to look at the coefficient of variability, um, but other people who may not be familiar with that term might just look at standard deviation. And um, after you've kind of looked at those metrics, you can also get, if there's enough data, a GMI, a glucose management indicator, which is actually just an estimated A1C. And that can also be very powerful because perhaps your patients made a change to their medications in the last two to four weeks and their glucoses have really come in range and the estimated A1C has come down. That might be a number that is meaningful to you and your patient, even though their laboratory A1C does not yet reflect where they're at because the A1C is only going to change after you know two or three more months of the new therapy. 
as well, we know that there's lots of reasons why we can't rely on A1C um, because of hemoglobinopathies and anemia, and just the fact that it doesn't give us enough insight into the quality of glycemic control. But the GMI is still a powerful indicator because everyone's so used to focusing on what's my A1C. Well, now I can tell you your estimated A1C based on your time and ranges. And so the target for most adults living with diabetes is to spend about 70% of the time in the range with about um, less than um, uh, 4% spent below range. But I think it's important to remember that 1% of your day is 15 minutes. So that's still an hour a day that we find acceptable for patients to spend in hypoglycemia. And obviously that's patients who are using insulin and some of our patients with type 2 diabetes, as we'll discuss, might get benefit from these um, uh, devices without a risk of hypoglycemia. But certainly we'd like to um, um, uh, see patients, um, you know, exceeding these goals as opposed to meeting them. Uh, ideally, we have more than 70% time and range and no hypoglycemia. Um, and um, the coefficient of variation looks at how much fluctuations are you having from high to low, and that can be within day fluctuations um, versus between day fluctuations. And we know that if we target a CV of less than 36%, then the glucoses are relatively stable. And that's helpful because when the glucoses are stable, you can adjust pharmacotherapy, specifically insulin. But if the glucoses are unstable, the CV is high, then it's much more important to start talking with your uh, the person in front of you living with diabetes about what are the habits? When do they take their insulin? How are, comfortable are they in adjusting their insulin based on their exercise or their meal time? Do they tend to give corrections two hours after a meal because they get a high alarm and then they end up going low? Those types of behavioral changes are what's needed to um, bring the CV in range. And the last thing I'll talk about is just that ambulatory glucose profile, which is a graphical representation of, um, of, of the glucose over the 14-day period. And it can be very powerful at helping you to identify where the changes need to be. And it's probably more powerful for our patients than any of these metrics we've just talked about, because they can really see, oh, wow, I tend to go high after dinner. And maybe if I just instituted an after dinner walk, I would start to see the improvements in my glucose without even making any pharmacotherapy changes. Um, and so that's why these new, uh, the data that we get from these um, new devices can be so powerful. Great summary. So just to recap for our listeners, um, look at the time uh, in ranges, particularly time below range and time in range. I tell my patients to uh, look for the green zone to be higher because green is good and red is bad. Uh, look at measures of variability and maybe the uh, glucose management indicator and, and the overall profile and the ups and downs. So uh, with that, uh, Traditionally, for many years, we were using CGM mainly in type 1 diabetes, uh, uh, both in MDI or multiple daily injection patients and definitely in insulin pump patients. And there's a wealth of uh, data going back many years now showing the benefit in type 1 diabetes. But as you know, uh, uh, the data for type 2 diabetes is kind of still emerging. You know, most of the initial trials were done in patients on basal bolus insulin, kind of like type 1s. But recently, there's been more evidence to suggest that we should be using CGM in type 2 diabetes in two populations, one, basal insulin-treated patients, and number two, even in people not on insulin uh, therapies with type 2 diabetes. So maybe you can describe to our audience the uh, two important trials, uh, the first, the mobile trial in basal insulin-treated patients, and then the immediate study, which is in type 2 patients, not on insulin. So let's start with the mobile study, maybe a, a brief summary of why that's an important study in the CGM space for type 2 diabetes. 
Certainly, uh, Ron, it's a really important study, and not only because it was patients with type 2 on basal insulin, because it was patients in primary care. And uh, we think that that's an important thing for us to put in perspective is the majority of type 2 diabetes is going to be treated in primary care. And while traditionally these advanced technologies are felt to sort of only be prescribed and managed in uh, in um, and specialty clinics, I know I recently l- listened to your um, your interview with Irene Ramiak, and you talked about um, you know starting insulin in primary care in the early 2000s and how revolutionary that was. And now we have studies showing that primary care physicians can help patients manage their diabetes using advanced technologies like CGM. So the mobile study took patients who had an average A1C of around 9% on basal insulin and other non-insulin agents, and they randomized them two to one to CGM or traditional finger poke or capillary blood glucose monitoring. And they followed up to see what would happen to both the time and range and the A1C. There was no specific titration patterns or guidance or anything like that. It was really a while you're using CGM, let's see how you do. And they had them in primary care with the primary care doctors reviewing their data and making adjustments to their medications. And so at the end of the study, the time and range was only 43% in the CGM group, sorry, in the finger poke group, but up to 59% in the CGM group, which means that the CGM group was spending 3.6 hours more a day in the target time and range. And And um, the way they figured out what the time and range was for the group who was the traditional finger poke group was they had them wear a blinded CGM for for 14 days at the beginning and end of the trial so they could compare across time and ranges. And they did look and saw that there was um, possibly less hypoglycemia in the group that was on CGM, but those were just sort of secondary and exploratory outcomes. The mobile study had a second component to it, which I think is even more important from a clinical practice perspective. So in the phase two of the study, they took the capillary blood glucose monitoring group and um, gave them real-time CGM. And then they took the real-time CGM group and randomized them to discontinue or continue. And so they just looked at that group who initially had CGM in the first part of the study and saw what happened if they continued or not. And unsurprisingly, the gains that were made while they were on CGM were lost when they stopped using CGM. So I think this is important because I think a lot of us would initially conclude, oh, this is a useful tool for helping with basal insulin titration. But once you're at a stable dose, you may not need it any longer. But I think that the phase two of the mobile study shows us that it's probably not just about the basal insulin. It's the actual feedback that they get in terms of lifestyle modification that continues to help them to stay in range and keep the A1C down. And so when you're using real-time CGM, you get to see the impacts of whether you eat salad or pasta for dinner and whether you go for that walk or not. And so probably that's an important piece when we think about whether we're going to use CGM intermittently or continuously for patient care. So if you stop looking through the windshield, you're going to crash. So basically, if you have type 2 diabetes and you stop using your CGM, you're not going to get the information that you can get otherwise with CGM. So the immediate study is a little bit different, and uh, I've been a fan of using CGM in non-insulin-treated patients for a long time because you learn a lot of things that you wouldn't pick up otherwise, but there weren't good randomized trials to address that. Um, So our group uh, took part in the immediate uh, uh, study in non-insulin-treated type 2 diabetes, and maybe in a couple of minutes you can describe the results of the study and why that's important to clinical practice. Yeah, so certainly, as you said, I'm with you too. Even though it wasn't in the guidelines, 
Um, I think the biggest limitation for me would be cost and coverage, but if patients could avail themselves of a CGM um, early in the diagnosis or even at a point where they're seeing me and I'm sort of like, I could or, or add a third agent, or maybe you just need a relook at your lifestyle. Let's get you on CGM and connect you with um, a good diabetes educator. And even without the diabetes educator, they can just learn, like you said, because they're driving, looking through the windshield and they can see when they're going off, off the road and the CGM helps them stay on the path. Um, so the immediate study took patients like you and I are discussing and randomized them one-to-one to, -one to um, use uh, flash glucose monitoring or, sorry, intermittently scanned CGM, I should say. Um, and um, the uh, group that was not did not receive the intermittently scanned CGM did have a blinded CGM at the beginning and the end of the study. And there was almost a 10% time and range difference between the two groups towards the end of the study, with a 0.3% lowering in the A1C at 12 weeks. And that's actually quite common to what we see in most studies. So while it was statistically significantly different, more importantly, 10% time and range different is clinically significant because every 10% increase in your time and range is about a 0.3 to 0.5% lowering in your A1C. And so this could be as powerful as starting some of our second line agents and potentially offers a lot of other benefits because maybe it helps our patients, you know, lose some weight because they are eating better or just increase their physical activity, which I know you've had a conversation about that on the podcast as well, and about the importance of physical activity for longevity and not just diabetes management. So I think the immediate study is really helpful in kind of confirming what people like you and I were doing before, and hopefully it will actually slowly change practice so that we'll have more access to these devices for patients who are not on insulin. Because again, today, I think the biggest limitation is the coverage piece and that people who are not on insulin may not get coverage to use these devices on an ongoing basis. I really like your comment about the effect of putting an individual on CGM is almost like adding another antihyperglycemic agent. So maybe as clinicians, we should be aware of that, especially in the context of polypharmacy for a lot of our patients. So we're moving to the end, and what we uh, do practice in Canada, and Diabetes Canada has tremendous clinical practice guidelines. Uh, one component of that are recommendations around glucose monitoring. Uh, so can you tell us that in the most recent iteration of the monitoring guidelines in Canada, what were the specific recommendations for CGM in type 2 diabetes and does uh, that kind of match with the studies we just uh, discussed today? So, well, I, I am a huge fan of the Diabetes Canada Clinical Practice Guidelines, and I've partaken in many of their chapter updates. Um, we are not, the, our chapter updates are quickly out of date because both of the studies that you and I just discussed were published after the most recent uh, 2020 monitoring guidelines, which are now almost three years old as we sit here at the end of March, 2023. And so those guidelines said that we could may use CGM in patients with type 2 diabetes for improvements in A1C. Um, that was the main data that they had at the time. And it was really focused on patients with type 2 diabetes on basal bolus insulin because that was the evidence they had at the time. But now you and I have just discussed two um, well-done randomized controlled trials for other populations of patients with diabetes one that used real-time CGM and the other that used intermittently scanned CGM, two different populations with different devices. But I think if we had an update in the chapters, these, these certainly these, um, these studies would make their way in and may strengthen the uh, recommendation for the use of CGM in patients with type 2 diabetes on basal insulin alone or even only on oral. 
um, or I should say non-insulin hyperglycemic meds, because certainly many patients are on injectables. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Halpern. I think that was an excellent conversation on the topic of utility and potential benefits of CGM in type 2 diabetes. Um, so thanks to our uh, listeners for uh, joining us in this latest installment of the Diving Into Diabetes podcast. We hope you enjoyed our discussion uh, around the utility and potential benefits of CGM in type 2 diabetes. And please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, and stay tuned for new releases.